Alright, so today we are talking all things Rosh Hashanah Yom Teruah. And uh, so there's it's going to be a lot of information. Like I said before, some of this, or a lot of this will be review for many of you. For some of you, it's going to be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, okay? So the uh, reason why I kind of didn't go as long in worship is because I want to take my time. I don't, I don't want to bore you to death, but I do want to take my time and um, to, to clear up, uh, make sure there's some, some good understanding. Um, so... Uh, if you will open your Bibles to Vaikra, Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. We will start there. And I was nice enough to put the scriptures and slides up here for you. You're welcome. Uh, so if you don't, don't feel like turning all these or if you're writing notes, and uh, I know it's hard to write notes and turn and all that kind of stuff at the same time. So um, <clears throat> this is actually, uh, I did this exact same teaching last year. <clears throat> it's going to be different just because time has passed. Um, so I would encourage you, if you're, while you're preparing for Yom Teruah and for Yom Kippur, if you would go back to uh, our website, outofashesministries.org, and go to the, we have a, a teaching series called Moedim. And if you'll go to that series, then you can find last year's teaching. I did it in two parts last year. Um, this year, you just get it all in one, so, so hang on. Um, but uh, there's also notes attached. My slides that I have up here are also attached to those teachings. I'll do the same thing when I upload these. It'll be the, basically the same set of notes. Um, but that way, if you're preparing and you want a roadmap of kind of what we talked about um, then you, you have that available to you, okay? All right, so uh, Vayikra 23, verses 1 and 2 begins like this. Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Bnei Israel, the children of Israel, and tell them, These are the appointed times, or the Moedim of Adonai, which you are to proclaim to be holy convocations, my Moedim, or my appointed times. So a lot of big words in there. Don't get nervous. We're going to go through them. Um, so we have God speaking to Moses and telling the, the children of Israel, listen, there's going to be some times in the year, like, like God is always accessible, right? Hashem is always accessible to us. In the middle of the night, in Friday, 5 o'clock, Deritter traffic, Yes, we do have traffic at 5 o'clock on Fridays. Um, it, you know, down in, down in a hole, digging a ditch, behind an office desk, uh, you know, early in the morning, late at night, God is always available. Always right, just, you don't even have to say a word, and He's there. And yet, there are some times of the year that He told Israel, these are times that, that, I, that, are, that are, I'm going to appoint, that I want to make an appointment with you. And I've used this illustration before, so you, you, something doesn't feel right, you don't feel good, you call your doctor and they go, we can't see you for three weeks. And you go, well, okay, it is what it is, I mean, you can't see me, you can't see me, but I want to make an appointment. Okay, fine. 
But if all of a sudden out of the blue one day, you get a call from your doctor's office that says you need to come in for an appointment right away. That changes the intensity of that appointment. Same appointment, you're still going to the doctor. However, one was based on your, your needing to go. The other was based on their telling you you need to come in. And that changes the way you feel about that and, and the way you react to that. And God is always available. And Baruch Hashem for it. Praise God for it. But it changes or it should change in us the way we approach Him whenever we just can come to Him whenever we want or whenever we need to versus when He says, hey, there's certain times of the year that I said, that I said I wanted an appointment. So come anytime you want, but you make sure you don't miss these other times because these are, these are on his schedule. They're, they're, they're written into his calendar. So they're appointed times, or moedim, it's a word we'll talk about, of Adonai, and he says they are his. They're his times. Now, this gets kind of squirrely, and we'll talk about it in a little bit because of dates and because of calendar and because of names and all these things uh, that, that we have to deal with when we're talking about the, the feast days, but we're going to try to navigate through that, uh, through that today. So let's take a look at some vocabulary. So um, the, the first word is, I'm trying to get back here so I want to see, is moed. Moed, everybody say moed. Moed. Moedim. Moedim. So moed is singular. Moedim, you add an I-M or usually an O-T, makes a word plural. Okay? So moed is an appointment defined as a fixed time or season, not just a point in time, but also can refer to a season, specifically a festival, um, conventionally each year, uh, and an assembly convened for a definite person uh, purpose excuse me so a moed can be is is it has a lot of different meanings to the word which most words do in language that's how language works but it's an appointed time a day or a season of the year right for a specific purpose so again most of you will know this but let's look at the first time this word is used and we actually find it in Bereshit in Genesis chapter 1 verse 14 and I always love sharing this with new people because they go like what I had no idea um, verse 14 says then God said let the lights in the expanse of the sky be for separating the day from the night and we're like obviously sun and moon right they will be for signs okay like, mm, that sounds kind of like horoscope stuff just wait for signs for seasons for days and years now, most of us and myself for my whole life always read seasons as fall, winter, spring, summer, seasons. When actually the word seasons is moedim, the word that we just looked at from Leviticus. So the way this verse would read is that there will be for signs and for festivals or appointed times for days and years. So just as a little, you know, I'll poke you at a little bit because of you know how much I love Genesis 1 and 2 if Genesis 1 is really a scientific record of creation this doesn't make a whole lot of sense if Genesis is telling us how the world was created from a scientific standpoint then this should this word season should mean the four seasons but it doesn't it has a religious meaning 
which means that Genesis 1 is not scientific, it's theological. All right, uh, next. So we have the word signs. In Hebrew, that word is ot. The word ot is sign, and it's a signal. A signal saying like, hey, this is, this is the time. It's, it's the time clock. The stars, the sun, and the moon are the time clock. It's a signal as a flag, a beacon, a monument, an omen, which can be positive or negative, a, uh, a evidence, a mark, a miracle, etc. So there's ot, and for seasons, moedim. Okay? So all the way back in Genesis, God is setting up this cosmic time clock in the stars and in the heavens. And the ancient people, before they were addicted to looking down at this, at this glowing light in front of their face, they had a lot of time to look up at the stars, to look up at the skies. Without the glow of city lights, Stars are, those of you who live in the country, you know, stars and, and the moon are, are amazing. You can see things that are just incredible without all the, the, the modern modernity that we have now. And so in ancient times, the world revolved around looking at the stars. And now we can't confuse astrology and astronomy. Those are two different things. One has almost a religious connotation and one is just the study of the stars. And, um, and so we have to make sure that we, we don't get those two things mixed up. Um, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Again, you don't have to turn there. They're all, all up here, and you can, uh, you can put these in your notes. Uh, Daniel chapter uh, 7, verse 25. Um, speaking of an, uh, one who comes up an adversary, it says that he will speak words against the Most High, and will continually harass, uh, harass the Kedoshim, the holy ones, the righteous ones, of the Most High. And he will try to change the appointed times and the law. The Moedim and the Torah. The holy ones or the righteous ones, the Kedoshim, will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. So this is Daniel 7 which we usually read in conjunction with what book? Revelation, Revelation right? And what is, the, what is the main thing we're trying to satisfy when we study this with Revelation? Well, what are we looking for? Usually a, a timeline, right? We're usually looking for a timeline. What is a time, times and a half, and seven times, and a time and times, and time, and we... I don't have enough fingers and toes to count all the, the things. But we're usually looking at for a timeline. We're looking for a solution to a puzzle. And if you want to know anywhere where I'm going with my Revelation teaching, whenever I get to it, this is a sneak peek. Daniel 7, we read as a puzzle for the end times. There's another time. And yet, how many times have we read this verse, this scripture, and we read through the description of the adversary... And we went straight to the time, time and a half, and, and, and all that. You, you understand what I'm saying? But understand that this is not so much about giving us a timeline or a mathematical you know, equation to work out, but this is theological. Again, it's about the, the, the character of the one who will stand up against the Most High. And what does it say? It says that he will harass the righteous ones. Okay, well, that's persecution. 
We have some idea of what that looks like, not as much in America as they do in other parts of the world. We're pretty comfortable. We have it pretty good. But then it says he will try to change the Moedim, the appointed times. Well, this is, this is the Leviticus 23 Moedim. And God said, these are my times. I am appointing these. I am putting these into the structure of the cosmos. I am ordaining that these times that I'm telling you about are going to be set in the yearly cycle every year forever. These times are part of the DNA of what makes history and the future, past, present, and future. And this adversary, we know him in the New Testament as, a, uh, as anti-Messiah, anti-Messiah, anti-Christ, is not even really a a person necessarily it's an attitude it's a lifestyle it's a uh, a, a way of of posturing um but the the adversary whoever it will be the two things that he targets outside of just general harassment are putting a focus on changing and perverting god's times and his instructions his torah now can you see how maybe we would, we would start to think about the book of Revelation and what we call the apocalypse. You see how we would start to think about end times and all this stuff a little differently if we focused on just a different part of the verse? Do you, do you understand that? Do you see how that could happen? How we could go from maybe a date-setting people and a predictionary people to maybe about more about character and about, about what this is all about? Characteristic. I think it's, it's pretty fascinating. So we're told that we are to have a, a holy convocation. Back in Leviticus 23, these are my times, my set-apart times. You're to have a holy convocation, right? Well, what is a... We don't even know what convocation means in English, really, because it's not a word we, we use anymore. Hey, let's, let's con- convocate. Nobody says that anymore. Uh, but underneath that word is a Hebrew word, mikra. Mikra, everybody say mikra. Mikra. Um, and the, the root of mikra is the word uh, kara, and it means um, uh, to call out um, and to, to be bidden, to be called for, uh, to be a guest, to be invited, to be mentioned. Um, a proclamation is another way that it can be used, and it is used. Um, so a mikra, a holy mikra, a, a mikra kodesh, holy convocation, and there's a lot of debate in uh, in the Hebrew roots world about um, well, you don't have to meet, and the Bible doesn't command you to meet on Shabbat and on the feast days. That's not a commandment. That's not what the word means, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, the the truth of the matter is is that one word doesn't mean one thing. It doesn't mean it in English. It doesn't work that way in English. It doesn't work that way in German or Korean, and it doesn't work that way in Hebrew. Um, and the, the truth of the matter is, in context of Leviticus 23, God is addressing, or through Moses, is addressing who in Leviticus 23? One person? A bunch of individual one people? No, he's speaking to who? B'nai Israel, the children of Israel as a whole. That's a congregation, like it or not. That is a convocation, like it or not. And so we, listen, people, you know, that are listening, whatever, if you want to stay home and celebrate by yourself, more power to you. Go with God. Um, But strength is found in congregation, and it's found in community. 
And um, so th- we have these, these vocabulary words. And these words are really important because they come up over and over. They're kind of a foundation to this whole feast thing. So we have to know Moedim, which is appointed times. We have to know about Ot, which are signs, right? Uh, Moedim, appointed times and seasons. Ot, Mikra Kodesh, a holy convocation, which the way we're, we do it, we celebrate it, it's a proclamation and a gathering. Ta-da! You can do two things at once, or most people can. Um, and so we get together, we convocate, whatever that means, and we proclaim as well. And so we cover, we, we cover all, the, all the bases. So we got that little kind of vocabulary foundation down. Uh, let's go back to Leviticus 23, and we're going to read about specifically the season of time we're in right now. So verse 20, chapter 23, verse 23. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to B'nai Israel, again, the, the whole nation, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a Shabbat rest, a memorial blowing, a holy convocation. This is Tree of Life version. There's a hundred different ways to translate this verse. Um, but this is the first day of the month in the seventh month. So, we have a Sabbath rest. So it's a Shabbat Shabbaton. It's a Sabbath of Sabbaths. And that's one of the, the ways that Yom Teruah Rosh Hashanah is known by, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. It's, uh, and so it's Sabbath rest and a memorial blowing, blowing of, of something, noise making, right? Shofarot. And a holy convocation. There's that Mikra Kodesh again. So let's look at this word memorial. You guys know one of my favorite Hebrew words is the word zakar, right? Zakar, to remember. But to remember doesn't just bring back, doesn't mean just bring back to mind. Let me ask you something I think a lot of you can relate to. How many of you going about your day, doing stuff, you got a list of stuff, tasks you got to do. And in between doing a couple things, you remember there's something else you forgot to do but you don't go and do it right then. Does that ever happen to you? Like it passes through your mind, oh yeah, I gotta remember to do that. And you move on, and then time passes by and you realize you never went back and did it, it never got done. That's the way that we tend to treat the word remember. Oh, it popped into my head, I remembered it. That's a very Western English way, American way of thinking about remembering. That is not the Bible's, the biblical world's idea of remembering at all. The biblical idea of remembering, this word zakar, an old friend of mine gave me the best definition I've ever heard, to speak and act on behalf of. So, but that doesn't sound like remembering at all. No, it really does. Because when we remember when you remember a lost loved one, when you remember grandma, grandpa that passed away, what's one of, the, one of the main ways you remember them? You speak about them. You tell stories. You tell jokes. You tell, you know, you remember them through the stories and the experiences that you lived. Maybe you act on their behalf in that maybe, maybe they really had a, a maybe, maybe you're still going or, or some people still go to the same church as their grandparents. Maybe not even because they really 
you know, are excited about it, but that's just because what you do, and that's part of remembering them. It's part of that memorial to them. I, I find this really amazing when we think about the, the, the thief on the cross, and he says, when you enter, you know, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. What does that mean? Think about me? Think nice thoughts about me? What good does that do any, to any of us? If somebody just thinks nice thoughts about us, that's great, but doesn't help me very much. What was he saying? When you, get in, when you enter your kingdom, speak up for me. Act on my behalf. Wow. That's a lot different than just the way we kind of think like, oh yeah, you know, hope I pop into your head. You remember this time we hang out together? No pun intended. Kind of. Ah, I see some of you. Are, all right, you're just making sure you're awake. So this zakar, zakar is to remember, and I, I mean, I could talk about this word all day, but this word, a memorial is a zikron, a memento, or a memorable, memorable, nope, memorable thing, day, or writing, a record to remember, to mention, to be mindful of, speaking and acting on behalf of. So whatever this day is, whatever this Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, all, we're going to talk about the names later, whatever this day is, it's supposed to be remembering something. It's supposed to be a memorial of what we'll hopefully we'll find out by the end of this teaching. Uh, Numbers 29, verse 1, uh, re- repeating the commandment, and it says, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a sacred assembly, Mikra Kodesh, and you are to do no laborious work. It is for you a day for sounding the shofar. Um, and this, again, has been translated a lot of different ways. People say, oh, it doesn't have to be a shofar. You can just holler and scream and do whatever. Yeah, you can. It's a day of noise making. It doesn't have to be like, it's not, this shofar is not magic, and it doesn't have to be a specific thing. It's a day of, of noise making. So that's the commandment in Numbers 29. So in the sequence of the fall feast, the Moedim, we have uh, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, uh, which is, the, is about repentance, Right, so the the whole thing about the fall feast is that um, they are connected to the spring feast in a really interesting way. So, and let me chill. I'm gonna move over here. Yeah. Um, Look, we're all like multi-sensorial here, like writing and computer and all. We're so fancy. Uh, It's a whiteboard. Chill out. Um, So. What's the first festival we have during the year? Passover, right? Pesach. Now, what is generally the theme of Pesach? What would you say is generally the theme of Pesach? If you had to say one thing. Unleavened bread? Okay, deliverance, like, uh, is what I would, yeah, what I was asking for. Like, deliverance, that's what we think of a Pesach. Exodus, right? Exodus, deliverance. So, so what do you have? You have... At Pesach, you have a, a people that are not a people. They're, they're a nation inside of another nation, right? This kind of ambiguous thing. They don't, they don't really belong to anybody. They're not Egyptian, but then they don't have their Hebrew heritage necessarily that, that they came into Egypt with. And so you have this, this mass of people in another nation. And so let's say that Pesach is about deliverance. Pesach is about the king of the universe let's talk in governmental terms and kingdom terms it's about a king laying siege to a nation and rescuing his people 
right? It's about a king who remembers the cry of his people. That's in Exodus. He heard their cry. He remembered them. See, if we think about remembering in the other way, we just think like, well, like, does God forget me sometimes? And all of a sudden he just remembers and goes like, oh, hey, bud, how long have you been struggling? <laughs> you doing okay? <laughs> no. Treading water. But no, he remembers them. He moves into action on their behalf. He speaks and begins to act on their behalf, right? He remembers them, and the king come, rides into town and, and decimates the other kingdom and draws his people out, delivers his people. I use king very intentionally because kingship is going to be a major theme in this whole, uh, the, this whole season, right? So Pesach, and then, right, Pesach, we have, we have unleavened bread, right? Unleavened bread, now you belong to a king, a king that, that forcefully and miraculously delivered you. I'm not talking about just Israel, I'm talking about you, usins. That's like Pitkin for you and I, um, that, that miraculously delivered us. And for those of us that grew up in church or grew up in religion, we can get really dead to the fact that, that we were just kind of hanging out. And God miraculously split the sea for us and welcomed us over to the other side. And so now because, remember, God did not save Israel or the Jewish people with the Torah. Period. You gotta, you gotta go like a half a book from, from the Exodus to even get to the Torah. God saved the Israelite people because he's their king. And it was time to go get his people. And because he could. Period. End of story. So the argument, if, you, you know, if you're just getting into studying Torah and you're having conversations with your family about, well, the law doesn't save you, that's, not, that's a false argument. That's a false argument that hyper-grace doctrine made up because people actually started reading the Torah and going, well, like, no, this makes sense. Like, the New Testament talks about some of this stuff. And the hyper-grace movement came and said, oh, no, you're trying to work for your salvation. No, that's not. It's a false argument. Israel, the Jewish people, never earned their salvation, ever. Sit a reform, a conservative, and an orthodox rabbi right here, up here, and they will all tell you that's not a thing in Judaism. I don't know where the church got that. Some kind of straw man that we have to kill. It's stupid. But in here, God does give the Torah. Begin to give the Torah. Why? Because like my dad always said, if you're going to live in my house, you're going to live by my rules. Which is, makes sense, right? How many of your parents have said that? Or something to that effect? Or you've heard that as a kid, yeah? It's common sense. Are your children working in order to be able to live in your house? No. But why do your children obey your laws or your rules? So they can enjoy the fullness of what it means to live in your house. They can just, they can have a room. Great. And that's what often happens as they get into latter high school and into college. They just become like a, what am I looking for? Like a, a renter, right? Just become a renter in your house. 
Why? Because it's not about the, the, where they live necessarily. It's about the interaction and the communication and the, the, being, the fellowship, the being together. And these festivals are all about living in the house, the kingdom of God, and being in fellowship with him. So the, the, the Torah doesn't save us. That's just, it's insanity. But because we have been delivered by the divine king and his righteousness, his miraculous power, and we get to live now in his house, in his kingdom... I don't want to just be a I don't want to just be somebody that rents. This is my permanent home now, and I want to enjoy all of what the house has to offer. I've used this illustration too before, and I know some of you are familiar with adoption, so you hopefully this, and and you've you've confirmed this to me, but you you adopt a child and that's a legal thing. When you, when you legalize or formalize an adoption, that is, that is legal. They are your child legally. That's like deliverance, salvation. God, God delivers us. He saves us. When we accept that, it's done. We are His. However, that adopted child has a choice whether or not they're going to conform to the atmosphere and the rules of your house or not. They can be legally your child but not enjoy what it really means to be your child. Right? And what's so sad is we have a kingdom full of children of God that are legally the children of God. I believe they've given their lives to, to God and they, they've, they've accepted Yeshua and they, they, they want to follow Him and, and want to do everything that He wants them to do. And yet, because we've taken out the Torah, we're not really enjoying the fullness of the house. I hope that makes sense. All right. So unleavened bread is that getting the old, old stuff out so that we can replace it with the new leaven, which is the Torah. Unleavened bread, and, and you also have in here um, uh, uh, the wave offering. Uh, I'll just put first fruits. It's not technically first fruits. Anyway, we'll talk about that in the spring. Um, and then we go from here, uh, sorry, to Shavuot, right? From here to Shavuot. Shavuot is traditionally when the Torah was first received. Like, this is a big cycle. Look how far we are from deliverance to receiving any commandments. You know, Abraham got called out of Ur Hasdim, Ur of the Chaldees. And you know, it was something like 17 years before he finally got circumcised. Did you know that? It was almost two decades before God called him out and said, hey, here's the promise. I'm going to make you a, a nation of people. God gives Abraham all these promises, meets with him, does all these miraculous things. Abraham's not even circumcised yet. Finally, God goes, hey, I think it's time for you to, you know, to get circumcised. But it was, it was almost two decades after Abraham had been called and delivered. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Shavuot is the, technically the giving of the, the Torah. And it's where, it's the only time where we are commanded to bring a leavened loaf as worship in the, in the tabernacle. And it's not offered in the tabernacle, but it's waved before Hashem. What is the leaven supposed to be? Well, you're supposed to only offer unleavened bread in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple. So what is this leavening about? 
I believe it's my sense that it's about this new leaven of the Torah, which, which the Apostle Paul picks up on then in Corinthians, right? Shavuot, and then we have, we have Rosh Hashanah, which is where we are today. Rosh Hashanah, and then we have Yom Kippur, and then we have Sukkot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven festivals. So we're at Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah. This has all been about kingship and us not applying the word of God and God's kingship to our lives where it fits, but applying our lives to his kingship and his word and letting it mold us into where we need to be. So what is Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah? Well, you ever watched any really old, cool, like, you know, movies that show like medieval times or whatever what happens when royalty enters anytime royalty enters right they blow this this trumpet and all this stuff we said the month of elul is the 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 saying for elul is that the king is in the field right in other words the king is is left his throne has left his palace his place and he's coming out to meet his people i know joe biden was in louisiana the last couple days don't And I don't know how many people came out to meet him. But we don't really understand what this means for the king to come out and meet with the people. Because we don't have kings. And so there is, a, there is strict protocol when the king, when you're meeting the king. There's a time of preparation. There's a time of making sure that you're presentable and that you're, you don't have, the king doesn't have anything against you. You don't have any debts toward the king. That all your accounts are cleared and that, that the meeting can be one that is, that is amiable and courteous and, and on some kind of level where there's nothing to hide and there's no, there's no criminality. There's no shadiness going on. That you in all of your humbleness can pay allegiance and honor to the king and the king can receive that because it's not out of any kind of weird, you know, you don't have any kind of ulterior motive or anything. And so that's why this time of Elul is all about repentance. It's all about repentance. And turning not, again, like we've said, not focusing on the sin or the, the challenge, but focusing on him and letting him suck the oxygen right out of all that stuff that doesn't belong there. So the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, is about repentance the Day of Atonement is about redemption. And the Feast of Tabernacles is about rejoicing. So for all you Baptists that like three points in a poem, there's three points. Um, and they all start with the letter R. You're welcome. Uh, so, so these are various names for the Feast of Trumpets. Now, we're not going to be able to go through all of these. But I want to share a few with you and kind of hopefully spur you on to study some more. There's a big debate. In, again, in the kind of the Hebrew roots, Messianic community, what do you call this day? Well, Leviticus 23 and Numbers 29 talk about a day of blowing trumpets. So the day is called Yom Teruah. Period. If you talk to a Jewish person, it's Rosh Hashanah. They, they understand Yom Teruah, obviously. But it's Rosh Hashanah. That's what it's called. Well, what is Rosh Hashanah? Well, it's head of the year. And then we get all like our, our circuits start to 
and things start to smoke because Exodus tells us that Pesach is supposed to be the beginning of the year. But the Jews, the Jews are saying that the beginning of the year is in the seventh month. How dare them change the God's calendar? Pump the brakes, Skippy. Let's actually do some honest research and ask some good questions and then we don't have to sound like a conspiracy wacko. Just, it's okay. And if you are a conspiracy wacko, stop it. So, some of the names for the Feast of Trumpets are Yom Teruah, also referred to in Scripture as the Day of the Awakening Blast. Oh, that sounds kind of epic, doesn't it? Uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Hazikron, we talked about this, a mem- the Day of Memorial, or Memorial Day, right? Um, not to be confused, Israel has a, uh, a national holiday called Yom Hazikron, which is the, like our Memorial Day. This is referring to specifically the Feast of Trumpets. Yom Hadin, which is one we'll talk about, the Day of Judgment. Did you know that Rosh Hashanah or Yom Turah is the Day of Judgment that we all have heard about growing up all our lives? Ooh. Um, Yom HaKisei, the hidden, play, uh, the place of hiding or the hidden day. Um, and then Yom Hashem, the day of the Lord. The day of, of uh, yod All right, so, everybody okay? Need to get up and stretch? Grab some coffee? All right, good. All right, so let's talk about Yom Truah. Numbers 29, 1, it says, on the first day of the seventh month, you were to have a sacred assembly, which is called a what? Convocation, Mikra Kodesh. Um, you are to do no laborious work. It is for you a day of sounding the shofar, a day of, of blasting. So, Yom Truah. What is a Truah? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the definition is here. It's an acclamation of joy or a battle cry, especially a clangor of trumpets as an alarm, uh, as a sound of joy, jubilee, loud noise, rejoicing, shouting. So, it's it's a day of noise making. It's about a. It's a signal again. It's a. It's a. It's an expression, and that can include blowing a ram's horn, a shofar. Okay, so that's what teruah is defined as. So let's look at some other places where it talks about about blowing a trumpet or, or blowing making making a sound like this. First Corinthians fourteen eight says, "For if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare himself for battle?" Remember, the definition was about a battle cry, right? Sounding the, the alarm for, for battle. Psalm 47, verse 6. God has gone up amidst shouting, truah, amidst the sound of the shofar. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall come down from the heaven with a commanding shout, truah. Although in Greek. With the voice of the archangel and the blast of God's shofar, and the dead and Messiah shall rise first. Zechariah 9, 14. Then Adonai will be seen over them as his arrow flashes like lightning. I love that imagery. Adonai Elohim will blow the shofar and march in whirlwinds of the south. Sounds like a Michael Bay movie. Psalm 89, 16. Blessed are the people who know the joyful shout, Truah. They walk in the light of your presence, Adonai. Remember several years ago, those of you who have been with us a few years, we, we watched and listened to one uh, Shabbat, uh, the YouTube videos of the sky trumpets. Do you all remember that? 
if you go on YouTube and you search sky trumpets, there's several videos that were taken the last several years of um, these noises in the sky. Just random, like people come out of their house like, what is that noise? And they record it. And, and, no, and some people are like, it sounds like a train or it sounds like a this or it sounds like a what it is. And if you know the sound of the shofar, which Brady does a great job doing, doesn't he? Doesn't he do great? Oh, that's awesome. He's going to hate me for that, but he does a really good job. If you know that sound and you listen to these videos, you go, that's a shofar. But who's blowing it? There's nobody around. It's just in the atmosphere. It's wild. And I love this Psalm 89. It says, blessed are those who know the joyful truah, the joyful sound, the joyful shout. They walk in the light of your presence, Adonai. So that's Yom Truah, right? So um, this is a day of blowing trumpets. So this is a, a shofar, obviously. You guys know what a shofar is, right? Ram's horn. Um, Chio, follow me over here. Um, it can look like this, right? Um, I'm extra, so I got a big one whenever I bought mine because <laughs> it's just the way I roll. Um, but it can also look like this, right? Um, this is more traditional for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a little small one. These are super hard to blow, in my opinion. And then I bought this one a couple of years ago. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome looking? Makes a deeper tone. Really kind of hits you in your chest. Kind of a really neat neat thing. So, um, so shofarot. Um, if you don't have a shofar, go buy one. Seriously. They're not, they're not terribly expensive. You might not have it for this year, but put that on your list of stuff that, like, I need one of those. And go online. You can find them. You can get them for not very much, all the way up to, like, they're gold-wrapped and, it's like, yikes. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to keep up with one of those. Um, so, but, but do it and, and, and practice. And you're going to sound like a dying cow for a while, and that's Okay. Um, but it's something that we should practice. There's something about the shofar. No matter whether yours makes a high pitch or a low pitch, there's something about the frequency makeup of that sound that resonates with creation. There's science out there. You can research it. People have done studies on it. There's a frequency range in there that is, is, is moving. And, um, and nature is based off of frequency. So... Um, so shofar is, is something that you need to invest in. Uh, all right, let's talk about day of the awakening blast. In Daniel chapter 12, it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since the beginning of the nation until then. But at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, that's a hint to a later uh, lesson, will be delivered Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavenly expanse, and those who turn away, uh, turn many, excuse me, to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. Okay, so this is about the day of the awakening blast. This is something that we recognize. Let's go down to First Thessalonians chapter four. For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the blast of God's shofar, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. Well, it sounds like what we just read. 
Then we who are alive, who are left behind, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we always be with Hashem. So this is one of the, like, this is one of our verses, man. Like, this is one of our, our this is like John 3.16, but for the end times, right? That day, oh, what a glorious day, right? Well, it's, it's a day um, that's kind of shrouded in mystery. Because Yeshua said, told his disciples, like, listen, the son doesn't even know the time, right? Only the father knows. And then Paul would later say, like, no man knows the day or the hour. Well, if, it's, if this is the point that we're all doing this for, why would God not say a little more about it so we could be ready, right? Maybe he actually does say a little bit more about it, but we don't read the front of the book. So we don't realize that this day is the day we're about to celebrate. This day right here is the day we're about to celebrate. Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, is also known as the day, um, the day that no man knows. Why is that the case? Well, because... Here, I'm making the camera guys work today. Come on, chill. Stay with me, bro. Um, it's a day when nobody knows. Now, today, we keep a fixed calendar, right? Set by Hillel II, uh, who was one of the last princes of the Sanhedrin after the destruction of the temple. Um, in Jerusalem, and then eventually in Yavne, after, uh, and from there the Sanhedrin uh, dispersed. He calculated a calendar for us to use. Because the Jewish people, for the second time in their history, were not going to all be in the same place, in the same land, right? They were going to be stretched all over the place, the great diaspora dispersion. So Hillel said, so that we as a nation can continue to honor the Torah and keep the feast, we're gonna, I'm going to calculate. And it was brilliant. I mean, it's off, but it's, it's still brilliant. But how was it done before we had a calculated calendar? Well, if you're interested in controversy and conspiracy, insert here. This is, this is where if you want to get in deeper than you ever thought was possible to something then study the calendars and the different opinions on the calendars. There's, I don't know, 37 of them. I don't know, something like that. But we know from the Jewish writings, which if you get into a calendar study, one of the first things you're going to have to do is decide whether or not you trust the rabbis. That's the long and short of it. If you don't trust the rabbinic writings and you throw those away, then you open yourself up to a virtual Pandora's box of calendar possibilities. Was it the moon? Was it the sun? Was it a little bit of both? Was it the equinox? Was it the, the, the waves of the motion in the ocean? Or was it the, I mean, it's just, it's all kinds of different things that can determine how the calendar was determined. I, for one, trust the rabbinic writings. Let me, let me clarify what I mean. A lot of Mishnah and Talmud is history, not theology. There's, there's theology in Mishnah and Talmud that I'm like, you guys are crazy. But there's also a lot of history in Mishnah and Talmud that tells you like, oh, when the temple stood, this is exactly what happened. See, we don't have to make stuff up. It's in a book. We we'll all oh, the rabbis. We're so ignorant and arrogant. So we know that during the time of the first temple and the second temple, 
that the calendar was set by the sighting of the moon. Right? So, no cell phones, no Facebook Messenger, no Instagram or TikTok. You, you're out in the field, you're working. The moon has a cycle, right? Has a cycle. The moon goes dark, and then at the beginning of the month, it, it's a new moon, which the scripture calls Rosh Chodesh. You can write this down because this is not in the notes. Rosh Chodesh, which means the new moon or the head of the month. And what happens when the moon begins to be illuminated is a little sliver, right? You just barely see a little, a little illuminated edge of the moon. You can watch this. Just start looking up at the sky at night. Watch this. The farmer's calendar, the almanac, and even some of the little calendars you buy today still have the phases of the moon on them. This is how Israel determined its calendar. So what you had is you had set up in the first temple and second temple, you had the hall of hewn stones, right? We've heard about the hall of hewn stones. And in the hall of hewn stones, all around the, uh, you can find artist depictions of this online, you had pictures of the different phases of the moon all around, painted on the hall of, inside the hall of hewn stones. And so what would happen is you're, you see the moon, the middle of the month is a full moon, right? It starts to wane, it starts to go dark. You're waiting for the renewal of the moon. Now, the moon is not new, it's renewed, right? It's not like God makes it dark so you can take it around back and tinker with it and then ta-da, new moon. No, it's the same old moon. It's just renewed, right? So you're, you're, you're watching the moon wane and you're waiting like, okay, it's about to be a new moon, which we're commanded in Torah to celebrate the new moons. And so we, you, you start to see it and you see it. It's a clear night and you see it. What do you do? If you spot it, you rush to the temple if you're in, around Jerusalem, you rush to the temple and you call to the priests and say, I've spotted the new moon, the renewed moon. And they call you up into the hall of hewn stones and they say, look at all these pictures and tell us what you saw. And if what you saw is indeed the first sliver of the new moon, you're one witness. Great. It's still not a new month. Because what do you need to establish anything in Torah? Two witnesses, right? Okay. So another farmer comes in from the other side of town going, I sighted the new moon. Come in, tell us what you saw. Takes him into the hollow hewn stones. Tell us what you saw. If his description matches the first guy's description, then you have two witnesses in agreement. Still not the new month. Because the Torah tells us that the Sanhedrin will declare it is up to the Sanhedrin to declare this in Deuteronomy 17 the Sanhedrin will declare the times and seasons I said earlier God said these are my times right and that my times things gets kind of sticky because he said these are my times Pesach, Shabbat, Shavuot all these festivals those are his times but he gave Israel custody of them and told the leadership of Israel you determine how they are when they are done you proclaim whenever they are upon you that makes sense yeah we don't like that but that's the way it was historically Israel because God's not there's not a heavenly trumpet's going to blow when it's time for Shabbat Israel has to know and they have to establish it and has to become a part of their culture and their makeup 
So once the Sanhedrin is satisfied that the two witnesses agree, they declare Rosh Kodesh. It's a new month. They light a signal fire, and then there's watchmen all over the hills of Judea and Samaria in the land of Israel that are watching because they all know you can see it. And once they see those signal fires light, they begin to light fires all throughout the land, proclaiming and blowing shofar, shofarot, proclaiming a new month. Sounds really cool, doesn't it? Well, there's a lot of problems with doing it like that today. Number one, <laughs> please, I'm going to try to not be too facetious. No, I can't help it. I just can't. People that read the Torah and go, well, we declare the, the holidays when we sight the moon. That's great. My question is, where are you citing it from? You can't cite it in picking and say, this is the new, this is Yom Teruah. There wasn't no picking in the Torah. You can't, yeah. You actually, when you sight the moon from your geographic location, you're actually breaking the Torah. Because Jerusalem is the center of the universe, quite literally. It is the holy of holies of God's cosmic temple. So you can't go outside of it and go, well, we declare because we got four people in our home Bible study and we say, Ding Dong, that's his name, and that's the only name he should be called by, and that's the only way he answers. We declare from our back porch that our, this is the day... See, I can't help myself. I can't help. Yeah, but the Jews, how dare they take authority over God's feasts? But I can. What? What? Oh, my gosh. That's a, oh, we're such in bad shape. Um, so, so, Rosh Kodesh, so this cycle happens. And so we don't, first of all, we're not in the land, right? Well, some people are in the land. They can sight the moon. Cool. And there's moon sighting projects um, all over the land of Israel. It's awesome. You should follow them. But we don't have a temple to report to. They don't have a temple that houses a Sanhedrin and leading priests. So, so why, is that, why is that important? It's not necessarily an authority. It is an authority thing. But more than authority, it's coordination. It's administration, right? The Sanhedrin, everybody's nervous. The Sanhedrin, they're going to they're gonna make us, you know, do whatever. whatever. Look, I, I'm not into conspiracies. But in Israel today, you've got 10, 15 different groups that cite the moon in Israel. Awesome. But then who do you report to? Who do you come together to to coordinate and go, okay, does everybody agree? Like, did we all see the same thing? Okay, cool, let's do it. New, new. there is no body like that the government is not doing that because they're a government not, they're a democracy not a theocracy so they're not doing that so it doesn't, it doesn't work it doesn't work that way so what do we do? well OAM has just decided that we're going to go with the last ruling of the last Sanhedrin that everybody pretty much agreed and went okay we'll go with that there's some splinter groups that didn't agree but you're always going to have that so that's why we do what we do. So I took way too much time on the calendar, but that, that's, the, that's the Cliff Notes version. So back to our point. How is this a day that no man knows? How is it Yom HaKisei, the, the day that's been concealed? Well, because you're, you're in the, the, the middle of the month, you've got a full moon, 
you know the, the new month is coming, Rosh Chodesh is coming, but you don't know when. Based on the math and the science, there's like 28 point something, 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 something days in a month, or 29 point something, something. Anyway, when you average it out, 29 or 30 days in every month in the Hebrew calendar, which there's a few more days in the Hebrew calendar than there is in the Gregorian calendar. Um, but you know the new moon is coming. You just don't know when. Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be the next day? What if there's cloud cover and you can't sight the moon? So what do you so so the point of the First Corinthians and Thessalonians passages is that you are to Paul even says like don't be ignorant of the times and seasons. People that don't know the times and seasons get what get what does he mean seasons not the four seasons, not the seventies quartet the four sixties whatever. Not the four seasons, the, the, the Moedim. Paul's talking about the same Moedim we've been talking about in the Torah. Don't be ignorant of the times and seasons, right? People that don't know the times and seasons, they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off. You, the covenant people, should not be like that. You should be watching and listening. Blessed is he who knows the sound of the shofar, right? We just read that passage. And so this we should know does it mean we're going to know the exact day that Hashem returns that Yeshua returns no but it knows it means that we should be in the season how are we in the season we just we just stay in his cycles you stay in these cycles you're always going to be in a hot spot God never does anything according to these cycles go back in Israelite history in Israel in, in the history of the Jewish people every major event happens on one of these feast days and some minor feast days that are in, embedded in here. Everything. This is, this is God's heartbeat. This is his operational manual. You stay plugged into this cycle, you're not going to miss it. I just wish I want to miss God. How many of us ever prayed that prayer down at an altar? I just don't want to miss God with all intention. I don't want to miss what God's doing. I don't want to miss the move of God. Why do we have to question that? We don't have to question it. God told us when he was moving this is what I'm moving. This is what I'm coming out to meet you. Just show up. It's good. It's good. Um, let's see. Man, okay. So, um, let's go on. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, this, uh, this is only part one of this teaching. I haven't gotten to part two yet. So, real quick. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Paul says it's a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last shofar. That's a cool phrase, and I'll tell you why in a minute. The shofar will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this, in, for this corruptible must put on incorruptibility, and this mortal must put on immortality. So here's, where does Paul get this idea of the last trump? This phrase is not anywhere in Scripture at all. Where does it come from? It's not, well, could you find me a Torah verse, uh, a passage? No, it's not there. Like, where, else, where else does he find this? So I've, been, I've told you about a book that's available called a Maxor, right? A Maxor. M-A-C-H-Z-O-R. Maxor. For Pesach, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, there are Maxor. What is Maxor? You know what a Sidor, 
Siddur is the prayer book for the days of the week, right? A Maksur is the prayer book for the festivals. And the prayers change based on the festival to reflect the spirit of the festivals. So in the Rosh Hashanah service in the Maksur, how many times is the shofar blown? Who knows? Total of a hundred times. Now, I was that guy a couple years ago. At about hour eight of the Rosh Hashanah service, and you still got the last set of 33 blasts to do, it gets a little rough. I'll just be honest with you. It's blown 99 times throughout the service, but their last one is withheld to the very end. There are four types of shofar blasts. This is important. You need to know this. A tekiah, which is the one long blast, right? Shevarim, which is the three that you heard Brady do this morning. He didn't attempt teruah. I don't know why, but no. Teruah is the nine short ones. Um, staccato blast. So when you see the word yom teruah, this is actually what a teruah is. It's nine short staccato blasts. Um, and then a tekiah gedolah, which is a great blast. And that is the last. So when I, whenever I blow shofar at the beginning of service, usually that last one where I start to kind of turn shades of red and blue that look unhealthy, that's tekiah gedolah. That's the last one. That one is withheld. There's the series of 99, uh, 33, 33, and 33. And the last one is, is the tekiah gedolah. So what is Paul where did he get this idea of when the last trump sounds? Where did he get that idea? It's not in scripture. He got it from Jewish tradition. <laughs> All right. So um, let's see where we're going to. I'm going to try to finish up because I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about uh, traditions. Um, traditions. Not that one. This one. Um, so. We'll look at uh, a few more names for. Um, is this helpful, kind of review, or it just leads to like, okay? So, um, all right. So it's also called Yom Hadin, the Day of Judgment. I included this about the Day of Judgment in here because I know how much we're all uh, we've all focused on Judgment Day. That's kind of a big thing in our theological background judgment the judgment are you ready how many of you went through like something like heaven's gates hell's flames when you were a kid some of you do some of you are too old to remember are too old to have gone through that but it's like they took part of the church every halloween and they took all the sunday school classrooms and they made them into like oh teenagers drinking at a party and then the next classroom was like a like a really bad car wreck and some, some teenage part of the youth group is, is like hanging out with blood everywhere. And it's every, every scene imaginable that it's like a, a, a young pregnant girl, a teenager giving birth, you know, to like a dead baby. And like, it's just, it's all this stuff. And then you, you go through the, you go, that was in Lafayette. That was happened in Lafayette at, um, uh, what was, uh, oh, shucks, it escaped me right now. But anyway, um, then you go into the sanctuary, which is decorated like heaven. And there's the judgment. And you have to decide at that moment whether you're going to get saved or not. (laughs) 
we're all, yeah, no pressure. They haven't manipulated you at all. <laughs> I got saved every year. The, the judgment, the great white throne judgment. Um, so since we're, you know why we're, why we're so infatuated with judgment? I'll tell you why. Fear motivates. Oh, we don't want you, we don't want to be good because we love God. We want to be good because we don't want God's wrath. See, the this is not the church's fault or whatever. This is a human problem. We are not motivated by blessing and goodness. We're motivated by if you don't do what I say, I'm going to whip your butt. That's how we're motivated. Okay. Like, you, you, our kids don't care. Like, I'll, I'll get, take you out to eat and whatever. Like, they don't care, whatever. We're motivated by fear. Hello, current situation in our nation and all over the world. You notice how much trouble we have today? How much stuff is going on? And how it's all being used to instill fear? It's all about fear. And sadly, the church has done a pretty good job at co-opting that strategy. And we focused on the day of judgment. But we don't even know when the day of judgment is. I don't know, it's someday in the future. The scripture tells us it's Rosh Hashanah. It's this day. This is the day of judgment. God always has always desired to forewarn before he brings judgment. The number 40 has always been a time of testing warning and preparation for transition okay always in Judaism it's understood that every year on this day Rosh Hashanah Yom Teruah the heavenly court is in session there are books that are open we've heard of books right if you've only read your New Testament you've heard of books you've heard of the Lamb's book of life there's a good chance you don't know there are any other books oh but there are the books are open. God looks over every person's account to see how he took care of God's, in, how we took care of God's investment in us the past year. This is not salvation. Relax. This is the parable of the talents. Rosh Hashanah is the parable of the talents. What did you do with what I gave you last year? Let's open up the ledger and let's see. The trial lasts 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. So you have, let me do it this way so you can see. You have Elul, which is 40 days of preparation, right? For repentance, testing, transition. Yes, we've, we've, we've experienced all those things the last 40 days. Rosh Hashanah, the heavenly court is seated. The judge is seated. The king is seated. He's been proclaimed. He's been heralded. He takes his place. Books are open to see how everyone did with the investment. That that reconcile process takes 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Those are called Yamim Noraim, the days of awe, because everybody is awfully hoping that they're found in the right book. So 10 days, um, and this is the 10 days we have to complete our repentance and amend our ways before the judgment is set and before the books are closed on Yom Kippur. We're going to talk about this next week. Books are opened on Rosh Hashanah. They're closed on. So one of the greetings for Rosh Hashanah is, uh, "May you be, uh, may you be inscribed, or may you be written for a good year." Okay, 
And then on Yom Kippur, the greeting is, may you be sealed, right? Because the books are closed on Yom Kippur. Um, it also in, the, in this traditional belief, everyone in the world, not just Israel, everyone in the world passes before the heavenly judge like troops in review. The sentences are then meted out during the following year. Again, this is not salvation. Like this is not, this is stewardship. Rosh Hashanah is about stewardship. So think about that. If you, if you didn't repent of stuff last year and this year was really, really, really rough, maybe I'm just saying it's worth a try to be transparent this year and get it all out and, and, then, and not just confess it but actually true repentance actually true turning and change our behavior and let's see if maybe like next year works out a little better I, I don't know I'm just trying to give you some Second Corinthians 5.10 we all must appear before the judgment seat of Messiah so that each one may receive what is due for the things he did while in the body, whether good or bad. How did you steward your time in your body? 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15. Each one's work will become clear for the day, the day, which day? Yom Hadin, judgment day, will show it because it is to be revealed by fire and the fire itself will test each one's work. What sort it is. If anyone's work built on foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, because this is not about salvation. He will be saved, but as through fire. Okay? See, like, we've read 1 Corinthians our whole lives and never realized all this stuff was not only in the Torah, but also in Jewish tradition. Well, I mean, after all, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. All right, so... Go back to Matthew 25, read the parable of the talents and the parable of the righteous judge. That's all about Yom Hadin. Yeshua's riffing off of Rosh Hashanah. Um, Daniel 7, we won't get to that, but read it. Daniel 7, Psalm 24. I mean, these are all connected. Revelation 4, all of these are connected to Rosh Hashanah. Um, I will have um, these notes again up, posted for you to go back and review. Again, other names for Yom Teruah. Uh, go to the second to last I think it is like oh. other names for Yom Teruah that we've kind of seen uh, throughout this is Yom Hazikron that's the day of memorial Memorial Day Yom HaKisei which is a hidden day we talked about that First Corinthians Yom Hashem the day of the Lord which we haven't really talked about uh, Rosh Hashanah the head of the year and unfortunately we haven't really talked about that either let me give you the skinny on Rosh Hashanah and then we'll get in tradition and we'll wrap up um, there are four new years in the biblical calendar, in the Jewish calendar. Four. Say, so, well, how can that be? There's only really one new year. Oh, really? That's not how we live. We don't have one new year. Yeah, huh? No, we don't. You have a new school year. You have a new fiscal year. You have a new uh, calendar year. You have a new all these other years. We got a lot of different calendars that we juggle, but we do it inherently. We know. Like, oh, the end of August? Oh, a new school year. No big deal. January 1st, a new calendar year. If you run a company, you run a business, you know when your fiscal year is. The government has a, its own fiscal year. We have this, we do this stuff all the time. So there's four new years in the Jewish calendar. One is this cycle, which is the, the, the cycle for the holidays. So the beginning of months, as mentioned in Exodus, starts with, uh, with uh, the month of Aviv or the time of Aviv, springtime. Um, that's the religious calendar. And that's also, this calendar is also when, uh, when you read in the, the fourth year of King Uzziah or whatever, 
those years of kings, the reign of kings, are counted based on the, the uh, religious calendar. Okay? The reason I bring that up is because kings were coronated according to Rosh Hashanah. Okay? I know, it's a lot. So the seventh month and the first month, first month and seventh month, they, they're opposite sides of the spectrum. So this is a um, religious calendar. Kings are coronated on Rosh Hashanah or during Rosh Hashanah, but they don't actually begin to count their, their, uh, their ruling time until the festival calendar. Also, the Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the new year, Jewish New Year, is whenever um, the Jubilee and Yovel are calculated uh, for different reasons that we, we don't have time to get into today. But do some study on it. I think you'll understand why it is. The, uh, one of the other New Years is a New Year for trees, which you might think, why do trees need their own New Year? Because in Scripture, people are trees, and trees are very, very, very important if you don't remember Genesis 2 um, and 3. A uh, New Year for trees, and then a New Year for... Holidays, coronation, trees, harvest. Thank you. There you go. Okay. So the four four New Year's. So um, that's the skinny Rosh Hashanah. No big deal. So don't feel weird for like, oh, well, I can't call it Rosh Hashanah. It's not really the New Year. Yeah, it is. It's a New Year. Get over it. It's fine. All right. Uh, lastly. Um, lastly is, let's talk about some ways we celebrate. I know this was long. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Y'all have been so great, though. And, um, and, uh, okay. So, some ways that we celebrate. Do I have that in the last, last uh, slide? I didn't put it in? Okay. Shucks. All right. So, uh, the, look, this is ways we celebrate. <laughs> Here, I'll do it like this. That's terrible. Um, all right. So, What's one of the main themes that we've talked about through Elul and all of that? What's one of the ways that we recognize and we celebrate Yom Teruah? Teshuva, right? Repentance. No. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't add it. That's okay. Um, so the first thing is Teshuvah. If you haven't dealt with repentance in the last 30 days, what are you doing? Get with the program. We've been talking about Elul. It's been Elul like, Elul's wrapping up. Come on. What's happening? This is how you engage in the feet. You're preparing to meet with the king. So Teshuvah, repentance, is, is the, the, in my opinion, the number one way that we recognize this time in this season. Okay? So, so Teshuvah, and we have all the way through to Yom Kippur uh, to complete our, our Teshuvah. Um, the next way we celebrate is to, uh, to blow and or hear the shofar, right? In Leviticus 23 and Numbers 29, God says, blow shofar. So if we're hearing and are blowing the shofar, we're celebrating Yom Teruah. It's that easy. Um, that's why we'll do it here together. Number three, um, gather together, which was called a what? Convocation was in Hebrew. Come on. Come on, take a stab at it, somebody. Mikra Kodesh. Mikra Kodesh. Um, like you can read any of that. Mikra Kodesh. Um, so gather together, right? It's one of the ways that we, that we celebrate. We'll gather together and we'll proclaim it. That's, we'll do that together. Um, number four, a fourth way we can celebrate it 
our favorite. And, um, and just like every other Jewish festival, because the Jews are awesome, they have symbolic foods that you eat during this time that follow the harvest cycle in ancient Israel, and now there are symbols of a joy and of, of God's faithfulness and sweetness. So one of the main things is apples, right? We have like 15 different apple desserts coming uh, for Rosh Hashanah. Uh, apples, honey, uh, pomegranates are a big deal, dates, um, uh, challah, special challah that Heather will make. Um, that's beautiful. She braids it and does it in a circle. It's awesome. Um, so we, we eat. Let me say this. Remind you all, just if you want to bring any food, get with Miss Janice. But um, these traditional holiday foods, it doesn't mean that you eat only that. Right? Just because apples are traditional to Rosh Hashanah, apples and honey and stuff, you don't only eat apples. It's like saying, well, turkeys are traditional for Thanksgiving, but there's no dressing there's no cranberry sauce, which I don't know why you'd like that nonsense anyway. But no, there's no dessert. There's no pecan pie. There's no none of that. You'd be like, what? That's not Thanksgiving, right? Right. So Rosh Hashanah, you eat apples and those things, but like you eat stuff. It's food. It's a meal. It's a big party. So we eat, uh, and we will do that uh, Wednesday night. Uh, last is a little ceremony called Tashlich. Tashlich. And I love this. We haven't done this in the past. We're going to do it this year because now we have a pond and you need water to do it. So Tashlich is a, a, a short ceremony that um, you take either stale bread or pebbles, uh, pea gravel, like rocks, whatever. Um, you go to a body of water and the bread and the pebbles symbolize um, the kind of the remnants of the sin that you're repenting of. And you spend some time in quiet contemplation and then you toss the bread or the pebbles into the water signifying that they're being cast into the sea of forgetfulness you with me this means yes okay i know you're asleep a, a little bit but um so that this tashlik uh service um tashlik um means casting or to cast away and so um we're going we're gonna to do that this year. So finally, in wrapping up, because um, I had a couple questions last Shabbat. I was like, hey, could you kind of tell us what service is going to be like? Because we've never done this before, and we don't want like, to be surprised. So yeah, absolutely. So um, we are going to, uh, we're going to have uh, a few songs Wednesday night. There are going to be, a couple of them are going to be straight Hebrew but it's okay, I'm going to translate them for you, and I'm going to push you to learn them a little bit. One is called Matovu, which if you want to start kind of learn, practicing it, you can. It's super simple. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, dwelling places in Israel. Um, Matovu, and then we'll sing a couple more. Uh, we'll have uh, some scripture reading. We'll have some times of, of written prayer where someone will come up and pray. Um, and I'll have all this written out for you on the screen. And... Um, then we're going to do the shofar. I'm going to do the shofar in here. And then we're going to do tashlik together. So there will be some breadcrumbs and some pebbles and stuff that you'll pick up when you go out. And we'll all walk to the pond together and around the pond because we have a pond. Why not? And uh, we'll do tashlik together. And then after on our way uh, back from tashlik, we'll, if you have, bring your shofars. By the way, if you have shofar, shofarot, bring them Wednesday night. Then we'll all blow our shofarot. Uh, and then we'll come in and we'll eat. Cool. And that'll be our Rosh Hashanah service, our Yom Teruah service. So, um, so 
bring your shofar out, um, uh, and it's going to be good. I'm really excited about, about this year. So, all right, that was four hours of teaching in an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, so thank you all for being so focused and not nodding off too, too much. I saw those of you that did. It's okay. I'm not mad at you. Um, thank those of you guys who are watching online uh, for being, I'm not sure which camera I'm in. It doesn't matter. For being, uh, for being with us. I appreciate you all so very, very much. And uh, thank you for hanging in there. Sorry about the little issues at the beginning. Uh, let me pray for you and uh, hope that you have a wonderful Rosh Hashanah. Father, we bless you and thank you for our online family. And Father, we, we spend time praying for them each Shabbat when we leave them because we get to hang out together more and we're saying goodbye to people that we, we really love and that are special to us. And so we ask your blessings on them, Father, as, as we go and eat and as we continue to fellowship, um, we pray that you would uh, surround them with your shalom and uh, we wish them Shana Tovah blessings for a great new year and uh, we just ask all of your comfort and blessings and every amazing thing that they deserve, Father would be placed into their lives. We love you and we thank you through Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen and amen.